be seated. This last week, ugh, this last week, I watched 14 Peaks. Perhaps you've seen the show. It's the story of Nimzai Perja. Okay, he's a Nepalese climber. Actually, he well, he's Nepalese, and then he went and was a part of the Gurkhas, which is kind of like this uh, special forces in India. And then he became part of the special forces for the UK. At any rate, he's this extraordinary individual, and his goal was to climb all 14 peaks that are over 8,000 meters. You might say to yourself, well, Reinhold Messner has already done that. True, but he wanted to do it and break a record. Now, to give an idea of this guy's level of fitness, okay, part of his training routine, this is from his wife in the forum, 14 peaks, is that he would get up at like five o'clock in the morning and go out for a 20 kilometer run. You're like, well, it's really not that big of a deal. It's only 12 miles with a 75 pound pack. This cat was like absolutely amazing, okay? So his goal, you know some of the mountains, Annapurna, Gasherbaum 1 and 2, Broad Peak, Lhotse, Everest, Shishpengma, all in Nepal, Pakistan, and China. He did it in six months and six days. The next closest cat did it in seven years, 11 months, and 14 days. I mean, this guy was absolutely amazing. The peak and pinnacle of preparation. What does it mean to be prepared or be unprepared to you? Have you ever gone into a meeting not prepared at all, not knowing exactly what might come at you? It could be good. It could be less than good. Or perhaps you've gone into the exact same meeting fully prepared. I mean, you know what's at stake and you have your A game. How about preparation? College, the last three weeks of the semester. The reason why I was a B student is I studied hard the last three weeks of the semester. The reason I wasn't an A student is I only studied hard the last three weeks of the semester. Preparation, sitting on the deer stand, hearing a noise, not the cadence of a squirrel, but something much larger, moving more deliberately. How about the fuel gauge below a quarter tank in the wintertime, or any time for that matter? I don't know, maybe there's people in this room right now who really don't follow the fuel gauge at all. They just like, ah, oh, it's a guideline, what difference does it make, I run out of gas, it's not... How about an emergency kit in your car? How about the mileage indicator suggesting you should have changed your oil 2,000 miles ago? First aid kit in your home, your boat, your work? Are you prepared? Last night, I was getting prepared for today, right? And so, as you know, my routine involves a number of different things, including eating pizza. And I'm sitting, okay, and this has really nothing to do with the sermon at all, but I'm sitting watching this football game, right? And I'm not a great football mind, okay? But it's these, uh, these uh, boys from Georgia and these boys from Alabama, okay? And apparently, this is a big deal, the SEC championship, a very big deal. And, and the boy from Georgia steps back, okay, and he throws a pass, and, and then the boy from Alabama steps and, and, and captures, captures the pass, captures the ball, takes the ball, runs it into the end zone. I believe the kids call it a pick six. Now, I have this idea. I think that should count as a completed pass for a touchdown. Here's my logic, okay? No one dropped the ball. It was a completed pass. The ball left the quarterback's hands, never touched the ground, ended up in another player's hands. That is a completed pass, right? 
And then that player ran down the field, right? And here's the interesting thing. One of his teammates put a block on the quarterback so he could get in in the end zone. Is that any way to treat someone who just threw the ball toward in your direction? I don't think it is. Gets into the end zone, scores a touch. I think completed pass for a touch. Maybe you want another column for quarterback statistics. Maybe you want to add a column, touchdowns for the other team. But clearly, this should count for something, shouldn't it? Our text familiar. If it's not, don't worry. You're in a safe place. Take this book out. Okay, it's in front of you. F- flip to page 599. Look for the big 40 and then look for the small three. Parts of this we've already discussed, right? A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord, hard to read this verse and not think of Handel's Messiah, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. It's corporate, it's historic, it's contemporary. It's corporate, it's to the people of God the people of God in Isaiah's day. It's still to the people of God. It's to the people of God. It's a corporate call to get ready for something extraordinary that God is about to do. It's a corporate call to the people of God. It's an invitation to prepare. It's historic. Historic is two words, really, two meanings of one word, rather. Something can be historic in that it is rooted in history. Something can also be historic in that it is incredibly important. It is both of those in this case. It is history. God has invited his people to prepare as well as being historic, incredibly important, the notion of God asking. A common thing, without question, but a critically important thing. A historic request, located in history, but unmistakably important. Corporate, historic, contemporary. It's contemporary because this is still happening today. This is the perennial cry of God to get ready for what God wants to do. We tend to go to God when we need things, when we want things. God, give me this. God, we pray to God for people that that are near and dear to us. We pray that things would go well. We pray for health. Those are important things to do. We ask for requests on our behalf. Those are important things to do. We tend to go to God when we need things, which is good. We should. But what about being willing to listen to God when God needs things. Are we willing to prepare? Not just for this season, not not to align our hearts, not simply to align our hearts to the birth of Christ and all of the promise that is unfolded in that reality. But are we willing to listen to God when he speaks, when he asks us to do the things that need to be done, when he asks us to prepare? The call in Isaiah to prepare is corporate, 
It's historic. It's contemporary. It's not our only set of verses today. Page 855, for those of you that are familiar, it's in the New Testament, a book called Luke. Lee has already read parts of this. This is personal, historic, and challenging. It's the story of, well, here's the text. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favor, favored one, the Lord is with you. At the same time in which the corporate people of God are invited, there is always, almost always, this personal appeal. It might be one of the biggest asks in the entire Bible for a human, for all that Mary knew about what was being asked, for all of the unknowns that she would experience. It is this personal interaction, the God of the universe coming near through his messenger, asking Mary to do something that was historic, both in terms of being rooted in history and incredibly important. It shouldn't surprise us. God has always worked with individuals. God has always used human agents. And the work that is done, the ask, if you will, is so important. It's curious to me that sometimes the work has the scope of grandeur. Think Mary. Hard to mistake the reality that she occupies one of the most significant roles in the entire book in the entire book, certainly from a human perspective. And other times, perhaps more common, is the subtle, the day-to-day of average Janes and Joes being willing to do what God wants them to do. Have you ever thought, what if Mary had said no? What if the angel shows up? Greetings, favored one. Mary's like, yeah, hard pass. Now, it's a hypothetical, right? And we probably don't think about it a lot. It's probably not part of the Christmas story, certainly, that I grew up with. But what if she had said no? What if she had said even politely, no, thank you? We might be quick to say, well, God would have found someone else. Fair enough. But as far as we know... God asked one. We don't have any evidence of a backup plan. I recognize it's an argument from silence. And that one said yes. A job uniquely suited to Mary. I was in New York City, this was probably 30 years ago, and I went and saw a musical. The musical was named Chess, and one of the songs in it is, Each game of chess means there's one less variation left to be played. Each day got through means one or two. You can tell why Lee's singing and not me. Less less mistakes remain to be made. Not much is known of early days of chess beyond a fairly vague report that 1,500 years ago two princes fought the brothers for a Hindu crown. Their mother cried, for no one really likes their offspring fighting to the death. Okay, and it's the story of chess, right? Which is true, no one likes their offspring fighting to the death. 
So, so right now, we're in the middle of like the, the world championships. This uh, Norwegian by the name of Magnus Carlsen is playing a person who is actually at one point in his career his second, Ian Nepenbenacci. I think I come close, but I'm not certain. So far, of the seven games that they played, there's been six draws, one win, okay, and the eighth game is today. I believe it's a race to best of 14. What's intriguing about the game of chess is that each side has 16 players, right? 16 pieces. You have eight pawns, you have two rooks, you have two knights, you have two bishops, a king and a queen. And once you've used or sacrificed one of those pieces, you can't get it back. And each of those pieces have unique responsibilities and unique powers with which they can execute the game. A bishop is not a rook. A knight is not the queen. A pawn is not the king. And I wonder if we ponder that reality in our own lives that God asks us to do tasks that are uniquely suited to us and that perhaps God is asking only one. And if that one says no thanks, is there a backup plan or, and I'm not saying this to place God in a box, so don't hear me say that. God's not dependent on the whims of human choice. Completely agree. But I do say this to emphasize, how critical is it for us to say yes to God? What if in this game of preparation, where God is asking us to get ready, where the stakes are so very high, maybe you're a pawn, maybe you're a bishop, maybe you're a rook, maybe you're a knight, maybe you're the queen. You are uniquely positioned to do what only you can do. And that if you don't do the job, it's easy, right? It's easy to say, well, someone else will do it. But what if you're the only one? What if you are uniquely suited to do a grand or subtle thing for God so that God's best for his creation can move forward? I don't think I'm emphasizing it too much. And I think we have a tendency in Western Christianity to kind of be like, it's okay, as long as I do kind of the thing that I want to do, I don't need to be called to do what God wants me to do. Or I don't need to be part of the larger community. We pride our individualism, which is good, which is good. It's good to be an individual. But it's also good to be in community. And it's good to pair those two things together, that you that me, as an individual, has a unique set of gifts and ability to bring to the community of God, to God's creation, that if we don't exercise what we have been created to do, there may not be another person who will do it. 
because there's not another me. Most people are thankful for that, especially Tanya. There's not another you. You're uniquely created by the God of the universe to execute what he has invited you to do. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Mary said, behold, verse 38, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's like, I'm in to this personal, historic, challenging request, I'm in. I kind of know a little bit about what this will mean. I don't know all that this will mean, but I'm in. I'm going to do it. And the obvious question is, what is God asking us to do? As we prepare for the work of God in our life, what is God asking us to do? I mean, broad strokes, right? It should honor the commands to love God and and love neighbor as self. Jesus says that's the first and greatest commandments. It it should enhance the reputation of Jesus Christ. We won't ever be asked to do something by the God of the universe that doesn't enhance the reputation of Jesus Christ. And so for me, there's a litmus test. There's plenty in my life that doesn't enhance the reputation of Jesus Christ. I try to ask for forgiveness for that as quickly as possible and, and chart a different pathway. God will never ask you to do something that will not enhance the reputation of Jesus Christ. It should reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It will probably involve our spiritual growth. It will probably involve representing Jesus to someone who needs it. It almost certainly won't be divisive or angry. It could be easy, a very easy thing to do. It could be a very hard thing to do. But it will be well-suited to you, kind of like the nose on your face. Mary said, I'm in. And as we prepare for this Christmas holiday season, as we respond to the question of what is God asking me to do? Are we in? What would it mean if we valued how God has created us enough to honor him with our lives. Please pray with me. Preparation. Preparing our hearts 
acknowledging the ick of the world in which we live. Acknowledging that the most important identity that we have flows from the fact that we are created in the image of God. Created to be redeemed by His Son. And maybe you're sitting here today and you know with clarity that God's been tapping on your heart asking you to do something that would enhance his son's reputation. And, and you just need to say, I'm in. Or maybe you're here today and you don't know. And that's a fair place to be. But would you be willing to ask, God, what do you want me to do? Because I want to follow you. I want to get ready for what you're doing in your creation. Father, we prepare our hearts. We start by getting clean and asking for forgiveness for our sin. And a clean heart that has been forgiven by you is now able to execute. Prepare our hearts, O oh great God. In Jesus' name, amen.